really good to see you. Go with me to Romans 4. Now, if you occasionally, um, I don't know if you use Google as a search engine. I'm not going to make any statements on whether that's a good or bad thing. But, but, um, but occasionally, if, if you use Google as a search engine, you'll, they'll come across with a thing that the father of... You know, they have a little cartoon picture of somebody, the father of or the mother of. And, um, um, you know, for instance, um, uh, the Wright brothers were the father, fathers of flight. Um, the um, uh, did some reading this week about the mid-1400s. Uh, Johannes Gutenberg um, kind of invents movable type and all of a sudden, uh, we can print the Bible in a language that people can understand, and he's sometimes called the father of printing. Well, the Bible really calls Abraham the father of faith. Now look at, if you'll go to your Bible with me, look at um, um, four one. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found. So he's even in the Bible called the father of faith, the father of the Israelite people and the father of their faith. We're going to kind of get into that today because, because um, Paul talks about it quite a bit. Um, uh, Ellie, can I get you to go to 1 Samuel 17, 36? Now, I, I can trust Ellie to find it on his mobile phone because I've seen him do it before. 1 Samuel 17, 36. We'll get to it in just a minute. Now, um, during Paul's ministry, a key issue concerned the role of the Jewish law for Christians who were not of Jewish descent. So um, if you'll read in Acts 15, uh, they formed a council in Jerusalem to decide this issue. Do you have it? And literally, whether you frame it this way or not, here's the issue. Do you have to first become a Jew to become a Christian? Now, today, that seems maybe like a silly question, but for them it wasn't silly at all. So do you have to follow Jewish law, all of it, and, and convert to that before you can become a believer in Jesus? And their answer to this was going to be really critical to whether or not the gospel expanded in their day, and honestly whether or not it got all the way to you and me, which it did. So they got the right answer in, in, um, in Acts 15, and they recognized that Gentiles would be welcomed into the church without, without being required to keep the law of Moses. One of those issues with this issue of circumcision. Now, I went, um, Rhonda and I, were when we were in Kentucky, we went to a, a praise gathering in Indianapolis and um, a great preacher of a former day who's, who's uh, not around anymore began to talk about this uh, with a crowd of four or 5,000 people. And he said, he began his talk with saying, I'm going to talk to you this evening about circumcision. <laughs> Jack, remember Jack Hayford? Such a great preacher. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about circumcision. He said, go ahead and giggle a little bit. You know, so we'll get it out and get it out of your system. That's kind of what we're dealing with a little bit today because it's one of the issues that, um, uh, involved here. Now, um, 
Jewish men had proudly borne that mark for hundreds of years as a physical sign of their separation from the Gentiles. The traditional adversaries of Israel were called that kind of as an epithet spit out in scorn. I'm going to give you one illustration of it. Do you mind, Ellie, to read? This is David when he is talking to King Saul about what's the deal with the giant and why won't somebody take care of the giant? Here's what he says. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. I have killed a bear, I've killed a lion, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be no problem for me. But you notice it's kind of an epithet. Am I saying that word right? The epithet, epithet? I don't know. I don't know. I can... I, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it's, it's a slang. It's a term. It's like, wow, he's different from me and uh, kind of that deal. So it's sometimes used in scorn. Any foreigner who wanted to be accepted into Israel, and don't be mistaken, God's plan was always to include foreigners. Read it. Read it in, in, even in the historical part of the, of the first five books of the Bible. And you realize that God's, God put Israel on the planet to expand the knowledge of him. Certainly, by the time we get to the New Testament. But any foreigner who wanted to um, um, convert to Judaism had to go through this ritual, among other things. Um, uh, and, and to be an uncircumcised Jewish man was to be expelled from the nation and thus not part of that nation. So... Would it surprise you that the Gentiles coming to faith in Paul's day didn't exactly welcome this thought? Makes some sense. Um, uh, I think we, we forget that this was what it was. I mean, it, okay, so you're talking about something that was repugnant and painful. So can you imagine the challenge to the expansion of the, expansion of the gospel if that had been the thing that you got to do in order to come to Christ by faith? So uh, the, the decision that was made in, um, in Acts 15 was a really good one. Now, it's interesting. There are other places where Paul will seemingly defy his own position on this. Uh, as in the case with Timothy, but he did it on purpose so that Timothy would have full acceptance by the churches that they would, that they would visit. So um, uh, there were those who you'll, you'll meet in, in the book of Acts, for instance, who are called God-fearers, who were those who were wanting to become Jewish but hadn't fully become Jewish. So, um, uh, and, and Paul is, by the way, really effective at uh, evangelizing those people. And uh, so, uh, it also talks about the, uh, uncircum the circumcision of the heart. You know what? We're going to actually read it for a minute because I think it's really important, Nadine, that Paul's distinction here is it's not what happens outwardly, it's what happens inwardly that matters. Exactly. And I think this discussion of faith where he invokes the thought of circumcision is going to prove that out. So you're exactly right. Now, let's go then. If you will, uh, by the way, look at the very last verse of Romans 3. Actually, 3.30. 
Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Okay, isn't it interesting? By faith, through faith, not by some other act. Okay, Cindy, since Steve's not here, can I get you to read the first three verses of Romans 4? What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteous. Okay, God, uh, Paul is going to be talking to some people, many of whom, uh, if they took a DNA test, they would have shared DNA with Abraham himself, and they're really proud of that, okay? Not just, um, not just Hebrew, not just Semitic. There are Semitic groups that are not Hebrews, and there are other Hebrews who are not Jewish. Okay, So all of that lined up with a bunch of these people. Um, so Paul says here uh, that you, some of you are a DNA match with Abraham, and then he begins to talk about him. This happens, so Abraham's story happens about um, I'm a simple guy that needs things put simply. So Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. Does that help you put it in a historical perspective? By the way, if, you, if you're like me, it helps me sometimes to look at a, at a, um, uh, a secular timeline and try to put some of the things that happened in the Bible in context of other things that happened. And I can't tell you what that is right now, but you might want to look. Some, some of your Bibles often have a kind of a timeline that tells you what was invented where and who, uh, kind of who was in charge at certain times. So this is 2,000 years before Jesus is when Abraham lived, about then. 2,000 years before Jesus was born, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God. In the context of a lot of people, most people around him who didn't. There were others, but Abraham believed God. About what? Well, he was, um, um, interestingly, a couple of things in particular. Abraham was talked about orally, and his story was told for more than 500 years before Moses wrote it down. Think about that for a minute. He must have been quite a guy. And his faith must have been quite remarkable for it to have been talked about from 2000 B.C. till about 1440 B.C. when Moses writes the Pentateuch, including the book of Genesis. It was, it was talked about, passed from, from family to family, a very important oral story, as were the other oral stories in the book of Genesis and Exodus, right? And, but it gets recorded then during the period of the Exodus in about 1440 or so B.C. When, when Moses comes on the scene. It must have been really important if they kept that that clear. So, in Genesis 12, we read that he believed God enough to leave his home in Ur of the Chaldees modern-day Iraq, and find a place that he'd never seen. 
that God said, I want you to go to the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and I want you to establish a nation there. Which, by the way, had to do with the second thing he believed. And that is that he would become, he would make of Abraham, of his DNA, he would make a great nation. Uh, what was the problem with that, by the way, at the time? He was old. He's old, yeah. Had no children. His wife was just behind him in age. No children. So you can argue that he believed God about a lot of other things, but let's, let's zero in in particularly on the fact that he said, I, I want to take you to a place, you're going to settle there, it will become yours that you've never seen before. And he takes him to Palestine, to what we sometimes call modern-day Palestine. So on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, um, in that much-contested strip of land uh, for, for the next 4,000 years, right? Okay. And then he says, and by the way, you're going to have kids. Lots of them. Yeah. And Abraham says, wow, I'll believe it, but we'll look at a scene when, uh, when he talks about that in just a minute. Now, so I think what causes Abraham to be called the father of faith is those two things that he believed. Basically, he believed God um, for those two things in particular at, at a time when it would seem ridiculous to have that belief. Now look at verse 2. That's interesting. The word justified is, is used here uh, in the book of Romans. It's a very important word in the book of Romans. For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. So well, this chapter in much of Romans is talking about the interplay between faith and works. Faith and things to do. And he says, Abraham was justified. Now the word justified, if I understand it, uh, would mean something like considered righteous. But Abraham was not always righteous, right? Right? Uh, I think of a couple of things in particular. He lied about Sarah. Yeah. What did he say about Sarah? Sister. My sister. And, and by the way, when Pharaoh finds out that he's lied about it, he said, man, I could have gotten myself in real trouble here. Um, so he lies about Sarah. Uh, he has this relationship with Hagar. Now, by the way, that wasn't uncommonly done in Abraham's day. You can read about it. His, you know, his grandson did this basically the same thing, right? Jacob did basically the same thing, as did others, okay? But it wasn't a faithful choice, was it? No. And it got him in all kinds of trouble. In fact, uh, the fallout from that, um, man, lasts for, for a long, long time. In fact, you could argue it's still going on. Um, so... Uh, it wasn't a faithful thing he did there. So look at 3.23, a really important passage of Scripture. It's a good one to memorize. What does 3.23 say? Somebody read it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Every one of us, including Abraham. So he wasn't always righteous. Uh, did he always choose the right thing? No. But that wasn't what justified him anyway, right? So, 
If you go on to verse 3, we read in the story that rather than despair or reject God when it was tough, Abraham simply believed. Now, um, you might want to keep your finger in, in Genesis. We'll go to several places there. Uh, I'll just tell the story from Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, 5, beginning with that, about Genesis 15, 5, um, Abraham is led outside. Now, remember, he kind of lived outside. I mean, he lived in a tent, so what, that wasn't a big deal. For you and me, it's a little bit different story. Um, sometimes I go out in my backyard, and I would like to see more stars. So, so I'll go to some place that's different, doesn't have a whole lot of city lights, and you can see a lot more stars. Anybody else found that to be true? Well, there's not a bunch of city lights. You can see a lot more stuff in the heavens. So God leads him outside. He's living in a Bedouin tent. He leads him outside and he says, look up in the sky. Look up in the sky. What do you see there? And Abraham says, ah, I see a bunch of stars. Like a bunch of stars. Uh, imagine now, without city lights, how many stars Abraham would have seen on a clear night. More than you and I typically ever see in a lifetime. Maybe if you're on top of a mountain somewhere, okay? And God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, can you count them? And Abraham says, well, no, sir, I can't count them. He said, your descendants are going to be like that. As the stars in the sky. Now, by the way, fast forward two generations. So through Abraham's son, who will eventually be born. And through Abraham's son's son, they spend about 400 years in Egypt. Do you remember that? And when they come back from it, so this was going to be 500 years hence from this moment in time. Ellie doesn't agree with me on this. But we think there are at least two and a half million people who came back from Egypt captivity. All of them Hebrew, all of them Abraham's DNA. And he had zero when he looked up in the night sky. And so Abraham simply chose to believe that. He believed despite the odds. Now, and it said there uh, in verse 4, by the way, there's some of this I've got to spend a little more time uh, on than, than others to, to kind of make the case so. In verse 4, uh, uh, it says here, of uh, verse 3, um, it says simply that uh, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I should have prepared Jeff Russell to give us uh, a, uh, a, a lecture on credits and debits. This is a banking term, literally a commerce banking term. You could do that, couldn't you? Maybe next week. Hmm. Okay. Here's what I remember about it. When I was in the banking days, I was 20 years old. It was right before Ron and I got married. I was working in the bank at Midwest City. And when I was 20 years old, one of my jobs was I couldn't leave the bank before the bank was balanced. We did things like that in those days. And um, I was often there till midnight, and I was there till midnight one night, and 
it was clear this wasn't going to happen because a teller, we, we printed some, um, uh, some documents in house. So literally, you'd rip one off of a, off a pad of paper. And on one side, it would say debit. The other side, it would say credit. And one side was red. The other side was black. And I found the mistake that uh, a teller had placed a debit entry on a credit memorandum. Tina, you get this. You keep books. You know. So what happened? It was about a $500,000 mistake. So, but the $500,000 became what? A million. A million. Because it was, you know, you double it. If, okay. So if you're, if you're supposed to subtract two and you said you add two, the, the problem is four. No, okay. So um, I knew where it was. I wrote a note about it, placed it on the auditor's desk, locked the door, left the bank. I had not sat down on my seat the next morning before the auditor called me into his office. You don't leave the bank out of balance a million bucks, pal. <laughs> but Grady, I knew where it was. It wasn't nonetheless, okay? What God is saying here, what Paul is saying about God and his relationship with Abraham is Abraham took, uh, God took the belief that God had, that Abraham had in God, and took it from black, I'm sorry, from red to black, from being in the red to being in the black. You and I know that banking term, don't we? Yeah. I want to end up my year in the black, Right? So God said, uh, through Paul here, he says, you know, when Abraham said he believed me and he followed me as if he believed me, then that moved his life from the red to the black. It was considered as righteous. Okay, let's read the next section. John, can you read 4 down through 8, verse 4 down through 8? works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. I may not get much further yeah. than 4-4. It's really important, okay? So follow me here for a minute. There's some other passages we've got to read. Would somebody go to 320? Looking. Laura, would you read 320 in a minute? Okay. And somebody go to 623. Rhonda, you read 623? I'm going to start calling people. <laughs> Ephesians 2, first three verses. The first three verses of Ephesians 2. Somebody read that. Thank you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And then Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. Who'll get that one? Thank you, Brad. Okay. We're going to read these in just a second. So the, the, the Bible makes it really clear. about a really important issue that what you and I have earned regardless of how good a person you are what you and I have earned is death uh, 
Are you like me? Lately, I have been... Uh, Okay, I'm 65 years old. I'll be 66 later. No. This year. Yeah, yeah, later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I get those things in the mail from, from the Department of Social Security or whatever, it, I, I pay a lot more attention to those these days than I used to. You know, when I was 40, it didn't matter all that much. Now it does. And, and I remember thinking when I first started looking at those, I remember thinking, well, this is cool. I'll get a, I'll get a check every month. And then when I look at my Social Security record, you know that thing they give you, how much you made every year and all that? I, I, I recognize that I've been thinking wrong about that for a long time. I earned that. I gave them that money a long time, all those years. Even back there when I was 20, working at the bank, when I was 16, working for Seton Plumbing. Uh, you know, I, I gave them that money. I mean, they took a pretty good chunk out of my my check. Now they really take a good chunk out of my check because I'm considered self-employed even because I'm a pastor. And so they take, anybody know the figure? 15.3% just goes to Social Security. So I've earned that, right? When they start talking about carving away at my Social Security, I get a little, hmm, you know. You probably do too. Listen to what the Bible says about what you've earned. Okay? Let's, uh, 320. Laura, is that you? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. You can't get right with God by doing the right thing. Uh, Isn't that incredible to consider? It almost seems uh, inconsistent. 623, it's going to tell you about what we've earned. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. My best effort earns me death. That's that earning thing. This is, this is another business term. Okay, let's go to a, another little expanded section, but it's going to kind of give us the same thing. Ephesians 2, first three verses. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world. Accordingly, the prince of the power of the year of the Spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we are all... We, too, all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were lit by nurtured children of wrath, just as the rest. As good as you are, you got a debt. As good as you are. One more. Colossians, uh, what did I say? Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You know, it may be that Paul did his best work in Colossians. It's just like a poem. When you were dead, he made you alive. Now, I want to say this. Not assuming anything, okay? I I think many people that I've met in my lifetime, and I'm hoping nobody in here, so that's why I'm not going to assume anything. Uh, Many people in my life are like I was as a young person, and I really believe, so I should have brought one with me, but imagine in your mind a legal yellow pad, okay? A yellow legal pad, all right? And... I think most of us have believed for at least part of our lives, and I hope you don't believe it now, but I, but I think we have for 
at least part of our lives, maybe most of our lives, that my life is like a legal pad, a ledger, with a line drawn down the middle. And every time I've done something good in my life, I get a check mark. And every time I've done something bad in my life, I get a minus. And that when I come to the end of my life, I'm going to hand God my ledger. And as long as there's more on the left side than there is on the right side, I'm good and I get in. That's not what the Bible teaches. My best efforts are like filthy rags. Uh, Hang on with me because there's hope. If you heard what Rhonda read... The wages of sin is death. In other words, everything I do kind of fits in that column. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He did for me what I could not do for myself. Most of us have believed in the ledger. Now, but the Bible says we've earned death. Verse 5. The righteous person... He's the one who doesn't depend on personal deeds. You can put acts. You can put to be in right standing with God. My question is today, what are you trusting in? Because you can't earn righteousness according to the Bible. You can't earn justification. Janie, we used to say it in class when you were teaching me. I cannot save myself. Man cannot save. Remember that phrase that just stuck with me for the last 25 years? I can't save myself. My righteousness won't get me there. So do I have any hope at all? Paul jumps forward about about a thousand years or so. Okay? To David. Now... It would be really easy if I just threw it out. What did David do wrong? We could come up with a pretty good list, right? What did he do right? He never stopped believing. I defy you to find a moment in his life, even though he, he chose the wrong door a lot of times. The list is long of what he did wrong, but he always believed. Believed. And in this sense, David is kind of the poster boy for forgiven sin as the essence of justification. And so, he came to know the essence of salvation in forgiveness. And in Psalm 32 and also in uh, Psalm 51, he kind of writes out his confession uh, for us to read in the lowest time of his life. Now, I want to tell you, David had to pay for the wrong decisions he made the rest of his life. But here's what he said. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He basically is going to go on in in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 and say, as long as I was trying to hide my sin, my body was wasting away. I was like a dead man. But when I confessed my sin, I was forgiven. Now, let's go back to our chapter 
and I want to read four more verses. We'll apply them and then we'll go. Starting with verse 9. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Now, how then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the face with he, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but those who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. And now that word is in there 16 times in there, it felt like. You know, I was tripping over it every time I said it. Abraham's household obeyed this requirement. How hard would it have been for God to say to Abraham, I want you to take this sign. And he goes, by the way, then to all the men in his household, hundreds of them, and says, guess what, guys, we're going to do today? I figure we're, we're uh, you know, we're uh, threshing rye or we're tending goats. Well, not today. In fact, you're going to get a couple of days off. You're going to need a little recuperation. Yeah. His whole household did this. But what's the answer to Paul's question? What he did as God asked him to, didn't make him more righteous. He already had that. How? He just believed. And so, evidently, in verse 10, the act of circumcision was less important than the faith that was behind it. Abraham believed God in Genesis 12. This happened in chapter 17. So his faith came a long time before the act of circumcision. He just believed God, and he kept following him, even to this extreme, you and I would say. Faith came first. Look at 229, just across the page from where we are. He who is a Jew, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Here we go, Nadine. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Paul didn't disregard the act, but faith he knew is what God wants. So, as we close out our passage in verse 12, the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but also who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had had while uncircumcised. Forgiveness and all that goes with it is a gift. It's given. Now, I was having um, breakfast Friday with a, with a young man that I will say I'm discipling him, but he's as good for me as I am for him. And he's just a, a great faithful man, and, um, um, but half my age. And um, uh, when we got ready to pay the check, somebody had already paid it. You ever anybody pay it forward for you? That's a pretty cool thing, you know. That's kind of a thing. And, and I recommend that you do it for somebody else. I don't know who it was. When somebody does that, it's not because you did something really wonderful that they did that. It's it literally, that's a gift. You didn't earn that. I didn't earn that. Zach didn't earn that on Friday. So, I just I had a friend who's now in heaven. Rhonda, Roger's fingers were that long. He could flail a piano. <laughs> 
And I remember a song, kind of a country song, worship song that he would sing occasionally, the words of which that I can remember are, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Chuck Swindoll, one time I'm listening to his radio broadcast, and he goes to prayer, and I think they must be headed to, to communion as he's praying this prayer, and he prays this. Lord Jesus, the life you lived qualified you for the death you died. And the death you died qualifies us for the life you lived. I, I, I've got to come to terms with this. What is one thing that I can do this week to walk in the footsteps of Abraham? How far will your faith take you? It took him hundreds of miles away from home. Do your actions today and this week, do they, will they demonstrate that you believe in God? I think this is kind of, isn't this kind of where the rubber meets the road? I can just say I believe, but is there evidence that I do? There's lots of evidence in Abraham's life, and thus he becomes known as the father of our faith. Nadine? I like the uh, verse where it says faith comes by hearing and yeah. hearing by the word of God. Isn't that in Romans also, Nadine, yes, I think? It's 10 and I think it's 13, I think. 10, 13? Uh, also, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews and 1, evidence, uh, Hebrews 12, right, and the 11, sorry. Of things you can't see. And, and what I believe that Abraham did that was so significant to me was he didn't, he just obeyed God. And I think we need to do the same thing. If God tells us to do something, we shouldn't have to say, well, I need to see how I'm going to do that. I can't <laughs> you know, and all of that. We should just take God at his word like Abraham did, even with his son. You know, you said something a second ago that resonated with me. The Bible says in this chapter, we're going to look at another chapter where it'll say something similar. We'll be in Romans 5 next week. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But he also obeyed. But he also obeyed. And that's where we've got to kind of get this thing in sync. Well, uh, I know this was heavily theological today. Bless you. And for hanging in there with me. We'll, uh, we'll get, because Romans is a very theological book. I'll be with you next week. We'll be in Romans 5. Have a great Sunday. I love you. Glad you're here. I'll see you soon.